Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lichtenstein. This week we'll be speaking about Mi Yichye U Mi Yamus. Who will live and who will perish? Community organizations grapple constantly with matters of life and death. We have Hatzalah. And the question is, we're going to discuss the questions, when is it appropriate to summon Hatzalah? When you're calling Hatzalah, you're using the phone. As soon as you call them, they start sending drivers. We're going to drive on Shabbos. What are the rules? When yes and when not? Should you be calling with a shinai? If it's at night, can you go outside with a flashlight or turn the lights on so that Hatzalah has an easy time finding your house? If you have to go to the hospital to accompany somebody, what can you take with you? On Shabbos, can you take your, your phone, your wallet? Is it more prudent to accompany Hatzalah or use Uber? Do you use the closest hospital or go maybe further beyond the tchum because you think maybe they can do a better job? And what happens if you call Hatzalah and then you realize, no, 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 it's not an emergency. Should you cancel, call back Hatzalah, but this way they don't have to drive all the way. It's usually two or three people coming from different. They shouldn't be Mechal Shabbos. Let's say you made an early Shabbos. Should you maybe be Bimater Neder on the Kabbalah Shabbos? And that way it's Chayil again by you and you don't have a Shiloh, or shouldn't you? What are you allowed to do and not allowed to do within the hospital setting? Are you allowed to come home afterwards? For these Shilas of Pikuach Nefesh and Shabbos, we're going to have Rav Rothberg. He's the distinguished Paisik of Hatzalah in Lakewood. He's also Rav in Tom's River. We're also going to delve into the captivating question of Hatzalah Ir, and we're going to have Eli Rowe, the visionary founder and president of Hatzalah Ir. Additionally, gain perspective on the endeavor to address abortion within the Haredi community with a conversation with Nir Solomon, the executive director of EFRA. You'd be astonished when he tells us how many abortions go on in the Fruma community because of poverty and other reasons that Efrat addresses. Should make for a really a very interesting program. Before we go to our program, last week we spoke about the issues of getting into school. And one or two of the speakers implied that it was only a Lakewood problem. And we had a number of people call up from different communities saying how it's in their community a problem as well. In fact, here are two parents from Chicago speaking about how there are over 100 kids in Chicago who go to public school because they couldn't get into uh, religious schools. Really very interesting. Listen to these clips. How many are there in your school? About 50. Five, Maybe 40. Or 40. I mean, definitely, let's say between 30 and 50. And that's just in your school. And how many schools are there that cover the from a neighborhood? So there are three in our neighborhood, but one, I, mean, I guess two kind of main public schools. No, but three. It doesn't even include yeah. like Peterson Park or Lincolnwood. So it really right. extends to like. So seven. there could easily be 100 kids in public school. Easily. I think so. I also wanted to just stress as well, outside of the school, that these kids who um, unfortunately can't get accepted in the Jewish schools end up in a situation where they don't have socialization. They don't feel like they really belong in public school. They don't feel like they really belong in our community. And sadly, my children have been called Goyish and not Jewish by kids on our block. And it's really devastating hearing my second son, he was being bullied 
by a kid in one of these after-school programs, and he said, why are they so mean? Why are the Jewish kids so mean? I would rather be friends with Christians than my Jewish community. In a further program, Bineda will be trying to speak to relatives or friends of a girl um, from New Jersey, I don't want to name the community, who committed suicide because she was not able to get into a school and the amount of uh, shame, and shame is a very powerful tool. Ultimately, she committed suicide, but um, we weren't able to get it into this week's program. Before we go to our guests, I want to say a short vart on Elul, maybe a little bit on Rosh Hashanah. All of El, we blow the shaifer. And the Rambam in Hochus Tshuva says, that, what's the, he says, there's a redness to shaifer. Uru yushenim eshinaschem. Wake up. Hekitsu nirdamim itadimaschem. It's a wake-up call. I want to give a, a little bit of insight to this. The very famous scientist Newton, in his first law of motion, says that every object will remain at rest if it is at rest then, or continue in a straight line unless a greater force acts upon it. The Hainu, if something's in an orbit, it will stay in that orbit forever. If something's sitting, it will sit forever unless a greater force acts upon it. Now, in our hemisphere, we have, uh, we have gravity, which is a greater force. But absent that, things stay the way they are. Cheskas marikama, the Gemara would say. Now, why are we talking about the first law of motion? Because by people, you have the first law of motion, too. And what does that mean? Most of us, at least initially, did not choose the trajectory that we're in. Before you had any das, before you were aware, before you were cognizant, when you were one-year-old, your mother told you, no, no, no. And when you were two-year-old, she said, don't run in the street. And when you're three-year-old, and don't hit your brother. And in five-year-old or four-year-old, and this is the school you're going to. So we were placed into a trajectory. And then when we graduate school, we go to high school, usually trajectory. The trajectory could be parents. It could be teacher pressure. It could be that's where your friends went. And ultimately, we marry somebody within that trajectory, and we continue in that trajectory. And what does Newton say? We will stay in that trajectory forever unless acted on by a greater force. And it's not just by humans, and it's not just by matter, but it's in the animal kingdom too. I heard from my father, Zohar Labracha. In, in, this, in Southeast Asia, Thailand and those countries, before tractors, they used elephants to haul. It was a, a pack animal. An elephant weighs five tons, could pull a tremendous amount of weight. So somebody was in Thailand, and he sees an elephant, and he says, the owner, how do you stop the elephant? How do you park an elephant? Like, if you're going to tie the elephant to your porch, the elephant, with one motion, will pull your whole porch off your house. So he says, what we do is, we take a ball, it's a 10-pound heavy ball and a chain, and we tie it around the elephant's leg, and the elephant stops moving. So he says, wait, the elephant could pull a ton. It could pull 2,000 pounds. You're telling me a 10-foot ball stops it from going? So the guy said, this is what we do. When the elephant is newly born, we attach a chain to its leg and the ball, and when it's newly born, this 20-pound, the 10-pound ball is heavy. And then every time we want it to stop, we put that chain around its leg. He says, the elephant could be 30 years old, and weigh five tons, 10,000 pounds, but in its mind it knows that it cannot move its foot when that chain and ball are on it. And this is what Newton said, things continue the way they are. Habituation, mitzvahs anoshim mother until acted on. Now what's wrong with that? Well, maybe nothing. Maybe you're in a perfect environment. But some of us, maybe there are things we really, we're in trajectories that need changing. 
or we're in trajectories that we really want to choose the trajectory. When we're little, we're happy being told what to do. Whereas we get older, the Chazal say, everybody's life is a story. Your life is a story. My life is a story. And every story turns into a sefer, into a book. So everybody has a sefer and a sipur, a story and a sefer and a sefer. But here's the question. Who is the sefer on your life? Is the author of your book the trajectories that you're put into by friends, by social pressure, by society, maybe even by the past? Or can you pick up the pen and become the author of your own book, the cipher of your sefer and the author of your sipur, so that now you are writing your own biography, your autobiography, as opposed to having others do it? And what do we say on Rosh Hashanah? yad Chazal, the Torah, the Rabbi Nishalem wanted, everybody should write their own story. Remember, Kval Yisrael, every one of us is unique. Bishvili nivra ilam, right? Adam nivra yechidi, emeinanilimili. What did Avram Avinu say? Rabbi Nishalem, first words to a Jew, lech lecha, take your journey. So what is the message of the Shafer? What did Newton say? You need an awakening. Every object stays in its trajectory unless acted on by an outside force. The shaifer is that shock. Wake up, grab the pen. There may be parts of your life that you really are in love with, but if there are those that aren't, and everybody has those that aren't, the shaifer says, get out of the inertia of the first law of Newton. And we start blowing the shaifer. Elul. And why is that? It used to be. Because... It's not enough to say, hey, there are things that I don't like. It really requires planning. What is it that I really want to change? Where is it that I am not writing my own story, but that others are writing the story for me? And let me share with you something. There was a, a nurse. Her name was Bonnie Weir. And she took care of people, a hospice nurse, in the last days of their life. And she said the biggest number one regret that people who are dying had was they would say, I wish I had the courage to live life true to myself, not the lives, not the life that others expected of me. The Koyal Shoifer is shake off that inertia. Shake off all those actions, all those habituations that society and external pressures have put on you and do that examination so that you could pick up the pen and say and be where you are writing your own autobiography. Let's go to the riddle of the week. And what does Rashi say? Bikurim is only for the Zion Minim. Bikurim is Eretz, Chita, right? Zion Minim, that's, uh, what are two of the Zion Minim, by the way? The trees, fig trees, date trees, etc. Gefen, fig tree. So here's the question. The Gemara in Brachas, and Afmem Amar Aleph says, what happens if you made a bracha of boire Priyadzama on something that comes, grows from a fruit tree? You made on an apple a boire Priyadzama. It's a machlekes, the Rabbanon, and Rab Nachman, right? The, uh, uh, the Rabbanon say, lo yatza. We don't paskin like that, by the way, even though, interestingly, the Rambam paskins in, in uh, Perekhes of Hilchus Brachas Halachayud, the lo yatza, like, like the Chachamim, but the Shulchan Aruch holds, we hold that you are yatza. 
But according to the, very interesting, according to the Chachamim, if you made a Bayeri Pri Hadam on an apple, you're not Yaitza. Shulchan Aruch Paskins, you are Yaitza if you made. So here's a question. According to the Chachamim, well, if you make a Bayeri Pri Hadam, you're not Yaitza. And, and but wait, what does the Gemara say? The Iker Elon, because Reb Nachman holds Iker Elon Arahu. The, the Iker part of, of the tree is the earth. And Reb Nachman holds, no, the Iker tree part of the tree is not, not connected to the earth. It's, it stands for itself. It's not a Bayeri Pri Adama. So the question is, Everybody agrees that by Bikurim, you bring it from the Zion Minim, including fig trees, including day trees. And what, is, what do you say by Havos Bikurim? So all Zion Minim, including the three fruits, are called Reishis Pri Ha'adama, according to the Pasuk. So how could the Chachamim hold? You don't make a Bayri Pri Ha'adama if you ate an apple, because an apple is not called Pri Ha'adama. When we see fruit trees are called Pri Ha'adama, but by Bikurim, we say, we Reishis Pri Ha'adama, and that goes on the fruit trees too, on all the Zion Minim. That is the first of our two questions. A Gavaldiga riddle, a Gavaldiga Shailan, the Chachamim. Here's a second riddle. It says, when they entered into Eretz Yisrael, v'kosavto al-avonim es kol divrei ha-toyra zois be'er heitiv. What does Rashi say, a famous Rashi? Be'er heitiv b'shivim lashen. They wrote the Torah, they uh, transcribed it into 70 languages, right? And the Gemara in Sait, the Lamed Hamed Bey says, that why did they do this? Because the Ksivas Torah was for the nations of the world, that this way they could learn, the nations of the world will also be able to learn the Torah. That's why they wrote it in Ayin Lushin, that's what it says in our Parsha. Problem is, the Gemara in Megillah and Daftesa Aleph says that the Chachamim were not matir b'metargim the Torah, but only into Yavanis, because of the story of Talmai HaMelech, that it was mitzavah to be metargim the Torah. And the Shulchan Aruch says, by the way, in Archaim Tav Kuvpei, that Ches Teves is one of the Yomim Shemesana Behem, because that was the day that Talmai translated the Torah, and it was Cheshach in the world for three days. But the Chachamim were very opposed to a translation of the Torah. So the question is, how could the Gemara and Megillah say that the Chachamim were very opposed to the translation of the Torah, and when the translation happened, it caused the Chayshich of Gimel Yamim in the world, when Kval Yisrael were Metzuvah, after they came into Eretz Yisrael, the Kasaf Talavanim, what does Rashi say? Beshivim Lashen, and the Gemara and Saita says, why? So that the Umay Sa'ilam should be able to learn the Torah. So let's make up our minds. Are the Umay Sa'ilam supposed to be learning the Torah? Are they supposed to be metargum the Torah? Like it says in our Parsha, and in Saita, or like the Gemara and Megillah, that a terrible darkness came to the world when they translated the Torah, and it's also to be metargum the Torah. That is our second riddle of the week. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's uh, 02372-0304. Now let's go to our wonderful guests. Joining us from Lakewood, New Jersey, is Rav Moshe Rothberg. He's a Magid Shir, and he's the Paisik of Hatzalah Lakewood. Welcome, Rav Moshe. 
Thank you so much. A pleasure to be back on. So most people have Hatzalah incidents in their life. Somebody got drunk on Purim, etc., etc. When is it mutter to call Hatzalah? And more importantly, when is Hatzalah allowed to come? Because I'm sure they get a lot of calls that in retrospect, like you scratch your head and you say, you really call Hatzalah for this? So give us some guidelines when you should be calling Hatzalah and when you shouldn't be calling Hatzalah. I'm talking about from a, halo- from a halachic point yeah. of view on Shabbos. Right. So, so these, these two different perspectives, when you talk about the, people, the person that's calling and the hatzal that's sending somebody, so let's just split, split the two. So obviously, in order to know when to call hatzalah, technically you have to, you know, go through some shin chavches and you have to know the halachas and what's called the suffix sakana and things like that, which is, you know, you have to be a half a time to know when. So in short, the answer is that if anyone is unsure whether something could be a threat to a person's life, that's when we call Hatzalah. So people ask me a question, but let's say I don't know. I don't know if abdominal pain. I don't know what's going on. So that's a classic example where you call Hatzalah. But when somebody says my kid was cutting with a knife and got a cut on his finger and I called Hatzalah, was that correct? And I say, well, were you were you cautious that maybe that uh, that was the sakana that someone's life was at risk? And they say, well, no, I don't think someone's life was at risk, but uh, I don't know maybe they needed stitches. So uh, that would be a, a good that would be a very good gauge to decide whether I should be calling Hatzalah. Just ask yourself that simple question: Is there a chance in my mind that this might be a sakana? If the answer is absolutely not, then that's a pretty good idea that when you call the dispatcher, even if you're gonna call, to let them know that I don't think this is a sakana. So given your years of experience. How many years are you working with Hatzalah? Working with Hatzalah is my 13th year now. Okay. Give us five examples of people who should call Hatzalah and five who say, I can't believe you called Hatzalah for this. That's what you were thinking. Give us some examples because the Lamdis and the Lamaisets, it's easier to understand it from a story than it is from a you know, halachic klal, you know? Okay, so the classic ones that, that people should be calling, and unfortunately, they're the ones that sometimes don't call enough. Is somebody, for example, who has, who has you know, chest pains. And a lot of times, you know, people with chest pains, is it indigestion? Is it this? Should I wait? Should I lie down? Someone who has, especially an elderly person, someone with history or any unexplained chest pains, these people should be calling Hatzalah immediately. People that, um, and, and, and you'd be shocked how many people walk to a Hatzalah member's house or go to a Rav to ask if, should I call Hatzalah or not? Um, difficulty breathing, patients with asthma um, that are having difficulty breathing. You should be calling Hatzalah immediately. Significant burns, um, especially neck area, things like that. You know, these people should not be thinking twice. They should be calling Hatzalah. Uh, other, obviously, choking calls, you know, that, that's, that's a hopefully it, 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 it's, a, it's a given that people should be calling Hatzalah. And, and as well as, you know, one of, one of the more things that people overlook sometimes is, you know, sometimes severe abdominal pain. You know, there's, there's that point also where we have so many things that could be going on where a layman can't know. It's totally fine. A person should be calling Hatzalah. So these are like the, you know, I say these are five, you asked me for five examples of people that really should be calling Hatzalah. Now, the oh, no, let, me, let not, me go back. Let me go back. You talk about burns. I mean, do you consider a burn life-threatening? Right. So, so it obviously depends on the on what type of burn, and that's why, as I said it, I was wondering whether I should have used that as an example. So, if someone has a third degree burn, a very deep burn, you know that 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 could be, and and it's on a and it's on a significant amount of his body. That's these are very serious things. So, in a, a child who has a, a, anyone that has a burn on his neck area, which that swells up, Rachmanul Atzlam, is is that that's where we breathe. You know, so these are are the cases where somebody will say like, do I really should I call Hatzalah? 
was going to call Hatzalah. You know, and, and, and these are the cases where it's unknown, where most people, the layman generally doesn't know. So clearly if somebody, you know, just some soup spilled on his hand and he has a little bit of a blister, I'm not saying you should call Hatzalah then. I'm talking about a serious burn, you know, over a, a large amount of the body or in a, or in a delicate area. Absolutely. Okay, now let's go to where you shouldn't be calling Hatzalah. So, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these cuts which um, we're, again, we, we, we let's, we'll tease out mechanism of injury. So it's not that somebody fell from heights. A kid was cutting with a knife and he cut his finger. And, you know, you'll get the callers that my kid is gushing blood. If you apply pressure on it and the blood stops, so, you know, are we, we're not really afraid. Now, some people say, well, there's a chance of infection or things like that. People are unsure of. But generally, a, a, a simple cut, which it's not, there's no medical conditions. The person's not on any blood thinners. There's no, it's just a cut. You know, a case like that is a, it was where somebody should, you know, we should also think to themselves, is this really a sakana? And I think even a, a better gauge is, I, I mom is, you know, it's like when somebody would call the pediatrician during the week because the child is not feeling well, but because it's Shabbos now, and all of a sudden they're calling Hatzalah, you know, that, that's not really, that's not really, not, not much Hatzalah could do. They're not doctors. They can't triage over the phone. And a lot of times when Hatzalah will show up, they'll say, well, why, why did you send Hatzalah? It was just, you know, and then they're not even sure what they expected. So if during the week you wouldn't call Hatzalah, you would call your doctor's office and call the doctor's office. Another example would be a simple fracture. You know, a kid playing basketball on Shabbos and broke his, he may have broken some fingers, may have broke some toes or sprains his ankle. People panic and call Hatzalah, but we have to ask ourselves, is there a chance that this would be a Sakonis Nefashis? Or uh, like uh, like Gilberstein one time told me, he said the great gauge would be, if you'd be by your sister's Hasana, would you say, I'm just going to rough this out? Or would you say, I got to go? You know, so I think these are, these are some of the examples where people are calling Hatzalah, where maybe if they thought it through a little bit, they probably wouldn't. Let me go back to your cases. What about a cut that requires stitches? So the majority of stitches are being done for cosmetic purposes. So, you know, when people throw in the what if, you know, yes, yeah, somebody got a cut on their head and they see gray matter, that's clearly a very big problem. But the majority of cuts outside of, of you know, the mechanism of injury, how it happened, it's all fell down the flight of steps, so we're more worried about falling down the flight of steps. But at mo most stitches are being done for cosmetic purposes. So here you get into a huge debate about whether this is a deraita to do stitches, it's a malacha deraita or malacha derabanan, or possibly five malachas deraita involved in stitches. So then you have a double question. Should I call Hatzalah Bechlau? And if I, and if I do call Hatzalah, should I want to go to a Jewish doctor to, to stitch that up? So the majority of stitches is not being done it's like a majority being done for cosmetics, but there are isolated cases where clearly it could be but that's not the rule. Okay, so you're saying most stitches are, would not be most would be for cosmetic reasons, and therefore, if you actually did get a doctor, make sure to get a Goyesha doctor, because a Yisrael is not allowed to be Michal Shabbos. For something that's not a Pekach Nefesh, a doctor wouldn't be allowed to. The guy would be allowed to. A guy even on a, even on a Chayli Shembe Sakhan, you're allowed to use a guy, right? Like some Shulchan and Shulchan. So let's talk about a fracture of an arm or a leg. What would you say about that? So, you know, it, it, it's, again, we're, we're, gonna, we're talking about mechanisms of injury again and again, that obviously if something, you know, traumatic happened, and, the, 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 you know, there could be other issues as well. But a simple fracture, you know, generally, at most is going to be a second favor. Now, you could have a, a femur fracture, which is uh, could certainly potentially be a tkoch nefashis. You know that that, that 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 certainly can be. But a typical a kid playing basketball fell down, broke his arm. You know that's at, at best a sakana favor. 
And most people aren't aware of that because if, if there is something called an open fracture or an angulated fracture where actually say the, bo- the bone will come out of the body or things like that, so then there's a risk of infection. That's a, that, that could be a much more serious case. But when we talk about the simple, everyday mom-and-pop fracture, most of those are not even going to be a saconosager. But it gets very hard to put out guidelines. That's when people ask, like, why don't we put out guidelines? Because sometimes you have to have know-how and sometimes seichel. And um, when somebody has a fractured femur, and they don't call hot because they're going to wait till they have the Shabbos, now we have a very big problem. So that's why it gets it, these things get a little bit complicated because it takes some a little bit yada to be able to differentiate between risking a life and being mechal Shabbos. Now, so here's my question: Somebody is uh, they don't really know exactly what to do. They call hot It's a at best, at worst, it's an isidrabanan, right? Mm-hmm. About maximum now, at that point, is I mean, it according to the maybe more, but yeah, I mean, okay. it's not widely accepted. Right. According to it, at best, it's a drug on, right? So the question would then be, does Hatzalah query the guy? Because now it is a shadow of sending out people who are going to be, you know, Ivy Suri Darisa by driving cars, etc. Does Hatzalah say what happened? And oh, he just did this. He really could wait till Matzah Shabbos, or did they just go on the call regardless? Okay, so so you just touched on the Achilles heel of all of Hatzalah's, and it's sort of like a, a, a double-edged sword. So, you know, I, 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 is it okay? Can I give you an example from this week, Mom, what, what happened this week? Absolutely. Okay. You know, I want to tell you something, Rupert. The reason why we called you was besides your expertise in the Indian, we could have found somebody else who has expertise, but these are real Lamaisa issues. So talking, you know, sitting on top of a mountain and clearing Lamda Shishailas, that's not really what we want. We want somebody who could tell us this is what really goes on on the ground. I got it. Okay, so I get a, I get a phone call this week from a Rav Lakewood, and he tells me he called Hatzalah this week, and he was very surprised that Hatzalah sent sent members. Like, why are you sending Hatzalah members down? I just needed somebody to verify, you know, to, to tell me what to do. And they're sending Hatzalah members. So I told them, I said, well, you have to realize that the dispatcher, they can only ask so many questions, and they're not there. They don't see it. And there's been so many calls, and I'll try to tell you just the, 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 two, the double-edged sword of this. So I said, for example, there was once a woman that called up and said her son is, is, is bleeding and needs stitches. I said, okay, when you put you, when you put gauze on it, is it stopping to bleed? Yeah, stopping to bleed. Did lose consciousness? Yeah, no, he's going to lose consciousness. So the dispatcher says, okay, this sounds like a very simple thing, simple cut to the head, not bleeding, it's not bleeding out, no medical conditions, no loss of consciousness, and um, they send a guy to go being a pick up a member to pick him up. Sounds like, sounds like really good practice. Well, by the time they got there, it was already upgraded. The mother forgot to say that the child fell out of a second-story window, and had a massive laceration across the skull, a fractured skull. So, and, and then, you know, everyone with the tiny after Shabbos, what is Hatzalah thinking and they're trying to be machmer? It's very, very difficult. When a mother says that my issue is my son is bleeding and the bleeding is, is and, and everything they're asking, it checks out and just forgot, you know, in her panic, she forgot to mention that little detail. You know, that, that changes everything. So it's very, very hard for us. So I get a phone call this week, and this person, and, and I asked the person, well, what happened? So well, my child passed out, then he came, came through, and then like an hour later, passed out again. So I called Hatzala, and they should send two people. And I said, well, what did you want them to do? And he says, like, why couldn't they just tell me what to do? So I said, first of all, the dispatcher doesn't know, is this neurological? Is this, is this a cardio issue? Is this kid dehydrated? 
they have absolutely no idea what's going on. So there's so many of these cases that when somebody calls Hatzalah, Hatzalah, they're not Nevi'in. They don't know what's happening. In panic, so many times people are calling their third party. There's someone who calls someone, you know, someone yelled and another person called. They don't get accurate information. At the same time, they do try to triage. So they do try to figure out, do I need to send one member? two members, two members and an ambulance, do I need to send paramedics? So they will ask a certain amount of questions, but not to send anybody has to be a very, very clear case that they don't need anyone because if not, there's always a question of what's really going on on the ground. So, so the answer, in short, the answer is yes. They try to triage, but they can only do so much, and they have to be responsible, and they can't just say, like, you know, okay, this doesn't sound that bad. We're just not sending anybody, or we're sending a guy to pick someone up. How about Londish Shiloh to ask you? Let's say somebody calls Hatzalah, and it's a situation where Hatzalah doesn't know. Like they just they're ignorant. They don't have enough information, so they send somebody, and it was Mama Shishtas, the kid cut his finger, and blah blah blah. So Halacha Hatzalah didn't have a right to go, or shouldn't have gone. So now the child, as you could say, they have a din of the Mechal Shabbos Bishaygig. Right, the, the members of Atzala, that's one side. Well, the other side is you say, since they're going on a suffix, even if the suffix was absolutely nothing, but they were mechuyiv al suffix, so for them, it always blibes they were allowed to go. How do you look at a klapish maya? This is, this is a great shayla. So, so, so not, you can take the, the shayla even a step further, but, but, um, which we'll get to in a second, but the answer is that we know that the sarsheratu kunla kuschar, even though, so you have 10 people that ran to save a life, Number number one person saved the life, so that means number two, three, four, and cetera were not needed at all. And so it's cool, Lachutzchar, that the Azura says that it's Aser for them to even do tshuva because that if they were going on the smach, when they were going on the smach because there's a life-threatening situation, so they they, they get tired for it so much so. That's a, that that's a wonderful that's a wonderful raya, but you could say a difference that over there all of them were going for a sakanas nefashis. And one of them got there first, and all of them should go because you never know who's going to get there first. But here, they all went for a not Sakhanas Nefashis, and it was a mistake that they went because there never was a matzav of Sakhanas, so it's a little bit different than the case of Sir Sharatsu. Great. So I want to tell you a, a, a great, great child that we had with this. Mamish, this is this longest Shashai that we had. So we had a question was if let's say you have a Hatzalah member going to a call, so someone calls up, my child's choking, Achman Lutzan. So at that point, when a child's choking, you have to understand there's two members going direct, one member is going to get the ambulance, another paramedic is coming, so you have basically a whole parade of people running to this call. A minute later, the, the, you know, the kid coughs out the, the item, and Baruch Shemuel was choking. So the shadow was, should they call back and cancel Hatzalah? Or, if the first Hatzalah member gets there, and he knows there's a parade of eight guys coming, should he just tell everyone, don't come? That's the Tosis and Shabbos, right? Oh, so that, exactly. So that's the Tosis and Shabbos about, 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 you know, you're doing a malacha to prevent someone else from doing a malacha zuta, a malacha rabbah, the al-yarabah, that's machalik between that. So this is the Shabbos we presented, and I went near to Shabbos Yashiv. Wow. Shabbos Yashiv said, said, absolutely do not cancel the members. Shema is not. So he said, said, why? He says because the whole shayla is if someone's doing a isadayraisa and you're doing a malachad rabbanan to stop an isadayraisa, so then that's where, that's where the shmuz is. If you get it, they made the b'shogeg. But over here, they're all getting schar. They're all going for what they think is a cholishiyesh b'sakana. So they're not doing. So you're doing a isadayraisa to prevent the mitzvah. It doesn't make any sense. And he's yeah. Very, so, very so, he, so he's basically naming on the tzad that since they're going also suffolk, they had a right to go make a raden. Exactly. Even though, oh even, though, even though the person who called them was absolutely erroneous, but they can't know that, so they're going also exactly. suspect. Exactly. Yeah. So much so. Sure, did, he, did, he bring a, did he bring a riot on that? 
No, so he, he told me, he brought out Sarah Shiratu, yeah. and I remember I asked him back, I said, even a different shot, it's called Lachul Schar, so they get Schar, but it doesn't mean that they weren't Machal Shabbos. I remember I had a back and forth with him about it, but he definitely yeah. brought that, that, that Gemara of Kavah, Sarah Shiratu, and it was an insane story, which I don't think, which, 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 uh, not a lot of people know the story. The story like this, it was in an army base where there was a firm woman that was in head, of, head of communications. And Friday night, there was a code red, which meant like, you know, the tanks, the helicopters, they're all running, they're, they're going to Lebanon, they're going to war. And this woman, she thought that this is fake, this is a drill, because she's in charge of communications, she would be the one, and she realized right away to drill. And she wanted to call the head of the, of the, of the base and basically say, Shabbos, you know how to do drills on Shabbos. So after Shabbos, she sent to Shiloh, to Rav, and the Rav had ended up by Yashiv, should she have called the head of the army base to say, cancel this, it's Shabbos, you can't do it. And Rabbi Yashiv said, no. So since they're all going the Heter, because they think that Lebanon's attacking, so you have no right to do an Iser for, to stop people who are doing a, who are doing, who are being the kind of Mitzvah. Wow. And the Raya is not Sarah Shrasa, but you, it is, you, yeah. could, you, you could distinguish the Raya, because you could be differentiated. Right. I mean, yeah, okay. Fascinating, you see? Um, so let me ask you a few more questions. So somebody wants to call Hatzalah, do you do it with a Shina or not? So calling Hatzalah, for two reasons you shouldn't. First of all, because if you're calling Hatzalah, we're assuming it's a Chodeshish with Sakana. So then, okay, that's a debate whether you're not allowed to use a Shina, you're just like, they are not allowed to do it. But, but, but certainly when you're calling Hatzalah, you shouldn't be using a Shina because you, you, you have to do it Kedaka. You're doing it, to, to, it's right now, to the Sharp Koch Nefashis. Then there's another practical reason which is that ultimately, when you're panicking and you try calling with a shinoi, you, you may end up making calling six people till you get to Hatzala. I know I've tried that many, many times. And I've perfected using the phone with my nose with everything, and I could tell you that I stopped using shinoiim because I make six calls till I get through to the number I wanted. And that's yeah. when Shmuel cats agreed. We tried it. We, we sat and practiced and tried, and we came out to Sinishkadai. Yeah, and, and especially since, again, it's an Isidra according to the vast majority of Paiskim. You want to do an Isidra, even for a Chayla Shein Sakana, you would be able to in certain cases, but certainly yeah. for a Chayla. I'll tell you a story that happened with me and my, and, and also another question, should you ask a guy if there's a guy there to do it, or an Isha, or a Katna, or should you do it yourself? Absolutely not. I mean, this is a classic case. You know, I'm calling out Now the question is, all the ancillary things, which is not related to patient care, so that's if Shana Zalman held that you could be more medical, like the Akamai de Shinoi, but uh, calling Hatzala, I think it's a, it's a, it's a and, and you know, it's a terrible thing because sometimes people ask the guy to call. The guy is so confused, they have no idea exactly what's happening. You have two people yelling into the telephone, and that's Thomas, because once the phone call's made, it's for sure to Hatzala ends up sending so many more people, so much more confusion because they don't understand what's happening. I wish people would understand that when you're calling Hatzala, there's no homeless at that point. At that point, Mitzvah Day is slow and do it effectively and efficiently. Yeah, I'll tell you a story that happened with me, that um, I had uh, the great guy in Ramayshi Shapiro by me for Shabbos, was one of the, the end, towards the end of his life, he was very sick, he had brain uh, the tumor, and um, they said he needed a particular medication, and and he, so something happened, I don't remember exactly what it was, and we had to call, and it was, he had like with him a coterie of his mishamshim, and they're sitting around the phone call, I said, give me the phone! <laughs> Give me the phone. I just grabbed the phone. You know, they, no, should we ask the guy? I said, give me the phone. Yeah, it, it, it goes against our nature. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing, but it's a... Ivan Cutler used to say, does the moral say, you know, on Shabbos, I don't want to do the meal of Shabbos. Give it to another moral. He says, no moral does that. And he says, it comes to the Kuch Nefashis. All of a sudden, you have people who are like, yeah, let's get someone else to do it. He says, it's, it's, okay. it's your moral at that point. Let me ask you, can you turn on the, the lights outside to make it easier for Tala to identify the house? We're going to assume that these are 
LED lights, correct? Well, that's the Shiloh Mesu. It could be LED, it's a drabana, and it could be, uh, it could be uh, incandescent, which uses the Risa. So it, it, it really depends. I mean, if, if you're living in, uh, in, in, in a place like, like, like certain areas in Muncie and in, 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 in certain places in Tom's River and Jackson and places like that, I could tell you lives, it, it's looking for an address in a dark night, adding time, the same way Hatzal is allowed to drive, you make sure that that address is lit up or you're outside and showing them where to go because it's so hard to find some of them. But if it's not hard... You know, there's a regular place, and you don't have to be cautious that that um, that they're gonna not gonna be able to find you. You don't have a reason to believe that. Then I don't see a major. Sorry, if someone lives in a development somewhere where you know it's two, four, six, eight, and it's very clearly demarked, you know, I wouldn't see a tariff to do that now. Even if it makes it easier, if it's a, if we're talking about a, a derabanon, like turning on a light, so so again, it, it doesn't even matter derabanon they right. So if it's hard, if it's hard to find it, then absolutely, a person should turn on the lights. Which would include running out into the street with a flashlight. People, if, if people did this in certain areas, it, it would be very, very helpful, especially on a serious call where, you know, again, if it's a case of abdominal pain where it's not a matzah baho or something, okay, but a, a matzah baho, we got it, we, is whatever we could do to light up. So somebody has to go to the hospital, that's all that comes, that's all that's taking the person to the hospital. Can they take their phone, their wallet, uh, whatever they need that they say, hey, I may need this if I have to take care of this person in the hospital, or do they have to leave it behind? That's a very, very important question. I'm so happy you asked it. Um, I, I personally believe people should be taking their phones because too many times when you're in the hospital, there's a complication or something, someone has to call an asking, somebody has to call a doctor, someone has to call somebody, and people don't realize how useless they are sometimes without their phone because they, 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 push and they, they need a phone to, to get through to people, they need the numbers and stuff like that. As far as everything else, whatever we need for Shabbos, a person a person could take. So if a person doesn't need that for Shabbos, I need it for after Shabbos, or things like that, that, that a person has to be careful with uh, in many situations. So, you know, you have tchum issues, you have, you know, p- potentially heavier things, you have you're being most of Havaris. There's, there's potentially a lot of issues when, you, when you're carrying things, but uh, a phone, and, uh, you know, that's something I think every person should what have. What about a wallet? For, for insurance card, you know, it's it's. Um, I don't think the hospitals give anyone a hard time. Um, if, if if they don't have if you don't have an insurance card, but I guess potentially if there are certain treatments that, that you need to get the insurance approval first, otherwise they won't do it or things like that, then that would be a sorry to take someone's insurance card as well. Okay, is it better to go with Hatzalah or to drive yourself or go with Uber? Okay, so. This, these, these cases come very often you know, a lot of times. I tell gets a call, and my wife is in labor. Okay, is it imminent? Um, no, but she has to go in on Shabbos. Okay, I, I try to Uber. Uber is not coming. I try to taxi. I can't get through. Okay, so you just need us sort of to be the taxi. Yeah. Okay, so why don't you drive yourself? And a lot of times I get the answer back, how can I drive myself? It's Shabbos. You know what I'm saying? People don't realize that, and it happens a lot. It happens. I've heard. I've heard calls like that where the dispatcher says, "You know, he says, shut this. I can't drive myself.'" Now people don't realize that when Hatzalah is coming, so they have to have one person drive to the to the ambulance. Yes, it's on drive the ambulance to the home. Generally, another two members are going to come along because you want two people in the back, one up front. So there are three people doing hundreds or millions of malachas veraisis instead of you getting in your car and driving. So people just don't realize that. They just assume that. Yeah, and there's one time I was by a call recently, and I call years ago, and uh, someone tells me, "Remember, the ambulance doors open." 
I said, okay. He says, no, little kids, don't you get in there. I think you should shut the door. So I said, so, so if you think so, so close the door. And he looks at me and says, I'm not going to tell. I can't close the door. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous misconception. Right. So let me say, now you're, you're hot seller and you have a choice. You can go to the closest hospital, right, or a further one. Um, the further one is added a ton. The further one is more malacha. You go to the closest hospital, or you maybe go to what you consider a better hospital that's further. Right. So sometimes you'll have a, a, a person that, you know, you have a, a simple case of, let's say, a dehydration. A person just needs fluid. And they'll say, you know, I don't want to go to the closer hospital. I want to go further. So Lakewood, I don't want to Kimbo. I want to go to Jersey Shore. But you just need IV. I mean, doesn't really, you really can do it in the, in, you can do it in your house technically. So a case like that, unless you get into shallow yisuvi das or chalish yish but sakana, they're going to be so perturbed that it could affect their health. Then you can't go to the further hospital. However, when 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 Rahman al-Tan, you're talking about something where where the further hospital may have, we don't know what's going on. Is this abdominal pain? Going to need emergency surgery? What you know, we don't know. Then. I think on the contrary, more, I think the hotels have to do a better job getting more people to further hospitals, which could actually take care of the patients, where they're not going to get released, oh, they don't have a neurologist there, oh, they don't have this there, and then people are stuck without proper treatment. So I think that's, that's a case where we should be going further. Right. Now, you sort of answered this in a way, but I'll ask it again. Should, if, if the person now feels better, should they cancel Hatsala or and say, I don't need them anymore, or say, look, they're coming to do a mitzvah, so I'm not going to call them, what would you say? Right. So I don't think people should call back unless it's like really bad inclement weather. You know, remember there was a study that came out that first responders, you know, that they have a much higher risk of, of fatality because when they're responding to an emergency. So I called... I, when I saw that study, I called, I think it was Morgenstern, and I asked him to go back to Voyage and ask him whether we could cancel our phone numbers, because at the end of the day, they're driving very fast, and it's, uh, and, and it's Kuach Nefashis, so we should be able to cancel them. And Voyage heard the shot, he looks and goes, I don't stand, he says, it's the Gemara Mufinachis, you know, they put yourself in a matzah of Sakana, they save someone else's life, they shouldn't drive in a way that's Sakana Sefashis. He says, yeah, but that's it, they don't listen. He couldn't even, he said, I don't stand, they don't speak Shulchan Aruch. So, and, and it's a bit interesting. He's referring to the Mechabim Chayshim Mishpah Tafchav Dawal, I believe. It could be Tafchav Dawal. Correct. Yeah. I don't remember the synonym, but yes, Mechabim Shuk, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, so, you know, so if it's like very bad weather, there's a snowstorm outside that, you know, and, and, and you know, we're questioning about resources, people driving in bad weather and they're running to an emergency, I can hear that sorry to cancel. Otherwise, it's logistically a nightmare and halakhically questionable to cancel that sorrow. Well, you know, and again, I have a, that, that's a really hard tisis over there in the dollars, but I don't remember the innings and the outings that well. But here you're not doing a malacha deraisa to cancel. They're doing a malacha deraisa and you're doing a malacha drabanan. So, right. I, I so I just don't remember that you have to get back into the tisis, right? right? So that's that tisis, I read the pass, and, and that's also a difference over there with the malacha drabanan versus deraisa, and a difference between doing a benazid or ba'inis. So, certainly, those are all slurs. But once you say that Atal is not doing any answer, then it makes that whole conversation irrelevant. Very good. So Shleiman Zalman and Rebo Yashiv, they both had the same talk about canceling members. Very good. You don't cancel once you made the call, even if it goes away. Okay, so somebody makes an early Shabbos, and then some type of an emergency happens. His wife goes into labor, etc. Should he be Mater Neder and then drive himself? What would you tell the person to do? So... According he already, he, he made us say he's at 6 o'clock, and they're sitting, eating the meal, and something has something. So we, we even had the Shiloh, the Gabi had members. So the Shiloh came up, you have, you have, you have, 
Yes, yeah, I told a member who's Matabo Shabbos. He, he took a call. He's sitting in the back of the ambulance. It's still an hour and a half before Shabbos. He, 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 so why should he do any malach on Shabbos? Let, 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 him, be let, him, be, let him be Matanadir, and that's it. Yeah, according to the Shittas. Right. So if you, again, it's not everyone holds that you could be Matanadir. Right. Um, but but if you hold that you could be Matanadir, if you even if you have in Shmonesrei, then or you make Kiddush, then you can't be Matanadir anymore. But if let's say it was before that, somebody went in the middle of davening. He finished Kabbalah Shabbos. He was in the middle of uh, Shema. He went on a call, so there would be a sorta to say that that that, that he that he can be matinader because if he's afraid he's going to do malacha shenitzriches and things like that he, he he can but you can't say he's mechuyev to so at the end of the day it is Shabbos he's not he's not mechuyev to he wants to be makabos he wants Shabbos and he wants to do this and he can't say he's mechuyev to but, but certainly he should be allowed to um, there's a benishchai about this also about about a moil that uh, one moil was makabos Shabbos one wasn't makabos Shabbos so certainly this is uh, it, it certainly is something which Shemizam and others held that you can do okay what can you do can't you do in the hospital, both for the Hatzalah member, and maybe you could tell us about, you know, the father came along or the mother came along. Right. So here's where I, I feel it's it's like a, it became a little bit of, I might say a Heskevelt, but I know, you'll, you'll decide. In the olden days, and I'm I'm only 46, but I still remember people going to the hospital and they came back to Shabbos, you know. Today, it seems like it's a Shemamashiros Mitsuyas, back and forth and back and forth. And Very problematic. I mean, not for the Hatzalah member, but for the, for the right, parents. For the, yeah. for the parents, right. Very problematic. So, if explain to the why. Walk, walk everybody through why for the Hatzalah member would okay. be okay and for the parents it wouldn't. Okay, so for that Hatzalah member, there's a Hatzalah that should be based on the Gemara, of Hatzalah Sevich from Tchilasim, that if Hatzalah member is going to be stuck in the hospital for the rest of the Shabbos, then next week he's not going to be so quick to take a call, and certainly his wife won't be so excited for him to go take a call, which will make him not take a call. I would add on to that. It's even more complex today, because if he's stuck in the hospital for Shabbos, he can't take another call if he's neither on Shabbos, and, you know, let's say there's a Hatzalah shortage or something, and they need him. So, so it's a double reason. A, he won't do it the next Shabbos, but even on that Shabbos, it could be misfit. Right, right. But let's say, but even let's say that there's plenty of members in his neighborhood, and that's not even a slur, but he can, right, right. So that you have those slurs. Now, a typical person coming back, you know, doesn't have that slur of Sefim Shem Trilasen. Absolutely so not. Says, right, and Zvaz says that no one's going to tell their child, I'm not taking you to the hospital, you know, when it comes to family, so when, you know, he, we, we don't have that Svara. So now, coming back from the hospital, you have a Shiloh of Amir La'akum, and you have a Shiloh of Tchumen, which is the bigger issue. Because Amir La'akum, if the patients would say, like you mentioned earlier, so then I could go Amir La'akum for a Chodeshein B'Sakana. But where the patient is, let's say, even if the patient, if, even the patient is a chalishim b'satana, but now I'm going to go, back, go out of the tchum shabbos. Even if we're going to assume that tchum shabbos is a derabanan, but still we're only allowed to do a shvus to shvus for a chalishim b'satana, and this is only one shvus. Now, even if we were going to say, let's say the patient is a chalishim yesh b'satana, and therefore he could go back, and therefore a parent could go back, but generally that wouldn't be a hetter for two parents to go back. So it gets really complicated with coming back from hospital. And, and there's another complication as well, is that on a big vehicle like a train, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's a very good likelihood that there's no problem by being myself uh, COVID. Bahavaris, right. Yeah, but but here you're talking about you're going back in a car. It's a, it's a Ford. So it's, if this 
three people or two people instead of one person, it absolutely is going to make a difference in the ignition, and it's going to be Gram Havara. So you have another Shiloh, which you have, uh, the, the, what you would call it, the Balamoyer says would be a Darisis. So you have other Shilohs as well. Now, even though it's not Hoikis, but I'm saying you do have that problem. Now, if he's driving a Lexus, you don't have that problem, but if he's driving any other vehicle, you'd have this issue. Correct, correct. And people don't realize that even if they go to a doctor's house. You know, you go to a doctor's house, let's say if somebody was choking, a Bokshem, it came out. So they want the doctor to double-check to make sure it came out. So now they go to the doctor, and let's say it's a 10-year-old girl who's not a katna So doctor says, everything's fine, Baruch Hashem. So now what's the hatchet to go back with a guy? It's not a chalishem, it's not... It's, it's nothing. And, and a lot of times people aren't even aware of how problematic this becomes. Okay. Give me one or two shilohs that I, I didn't ask you. Um, this is not exactly how tell my area of expertise. Like, what, what should have I asked you? Okay. I, I, I think, I think um, 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 two, two, I, I think an important thing, which I touched on it earlier, but I think it's, it, it, if, I, if I'm going to have this platform, I think it's so good to, to mention. A lot of times people call Hatzalah on Shabbos, and Hatzalah comes, and then the person says, I don't want to go to the hospital. And they say, well, I don't want to go to the hospital. So it's Shabbos. I'm not even going to the hospital on Shabbos, going to an ambulance. If people would realize that there were three people that drove on Shabbos to your house with malachas of their and let's say you may even have to drive back home with the ambulance, depending on which hatzali you're at or whatever, the amount of malachas that are done to come to someone on Shabbos, and then for you to say, I don't want to go in the back of an ambulance because it's Shabbos, it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense, you know, obviously, if you're calling because you're concerned about your health, you know, that should never be a cheshben not to not to want to go to the hospital or anything like that. Because cheshben is sometimes our, our people mean well, but it's, 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 it's sometimes it's not the best decision they make to refuse to go. So I think that's, uh, I think that, that's, that's an important thing. And the other Shiloh, which I thought you, I thought you were leading up to, and it could be I cut you off, which is that after somebody calls Hatzalah, very often people are under the assumption that they don't hang up their phone because at that point, why should I hang up the phone? And what people don't realize is that if, if Hatzalah did not get your address or there was a mistake in that or they want to do a callback because they can't find it, you just have a wild goose chase where they had recently, locally here, where the call went out, let's say, um, uh, whatever, let's say White Street in Lakewood. There was no such address there. And they said, oh, maybe it was in Tom's River. Maybe it was in Jackson. You had Atzalas from all towns running around to find this address because the person didn't hang up the phone and they couldn't get through to the person. So even though a person says, what, what, do, you, what do they need from me? You never know what they need from you. And therefore, I think that's an important halacha that people should know. Give us one other, one, one more halacha. Oh, I think this is a, a, also a very, very important, important thing to know. Katsala gets calls all the time. You know, Sonachmanotzan who's dying, and they want they, they call Katsala. A relative is dying. You know, we need to get to the hospital. And and people should know that unless you have a person who's conscious or someone who's not being taken care of and you want to go there to make sure the patient's taken care of, or the Sisuve Dasa, especially the Shchiv To be the Bishas Neshama, you can't do any Melacha, not the Rabbanon and not the Raisa. And, and when people call for that, it, it's very, very uncomfortable, but there's really nothing Hatzalah to do. And even more, it sound, may sound shocking to you, Hatzalahs all over have gotten calls from people, you know, my father had needs emergency surgery. Can I have a member go down to a Rebbe 
to get a bracha because we're not going to do the surgery without a, a bracha from the rabbi. These are things which people think it's a gemara. It's a gemara in Shabbos. Like I be kameya, right? It could be Shabbos for a kameya, right? Exactly. And the chayim that some kugel put on a rabbi that that sent a kameya on Shabbos for sure. And these things still happen. Betzal still gets phone calls. Just had it recently. That this pastor, what should I do? The person that's not going to do the surgery unless we go to this rabbi who's somewhere in Lakewood or whatever. And and people have to sometimes just just you know it's very emotional and people get very passionate, but you have to be able to think through it. Very good. Ramesha, thank you very much. This was really very educating and I'm sure the Tibur is going to be very nana from it. Thank you very much and Thank you, Rev David. A good kibenshir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Joining us from New York is Ellie Rowe, who's the head of Hatzalair. Welcome, Ellie. Hi, Shalom Aleichem. Nice to be here. Ellie, tell us some of the shilas that Hatzalair has that you've had to ask Rabbanim in the past. The most recent one was uh, actually a pretty interesting shilas. Um, we ended up on, in Mexico on a Shabbos morning on a, a rescue of a very, very critically um, ill patient who needed to get from Mexico City. We were called by Mexico City Hatzalah. Um Typically, we get called by Hatzalah branches or uh, Abad houses, referral organizations, etc. around the world. And Mexico City Hatzalah called us on a Friday night. And um, we landed there on a Shabbos morning at about, uh, and we had one Jewish pilot, two doctors, and a paramedic, that was four. The patient was five, his two sons were six and seven, and three Hatzalah members from Mexico City. We realized while we were waiting for the uh, customs clearance on the outbound to go from Mexico City to uh, uh, Montreal, we had a minion. We had about an hour and five minutes until departure. So uh, one of our doctors, from guy, amazing guy, Dr. Newman, said, hey, why don't we make a minion? And um, of course, the next question was, hey, Ellie, do we have a safe attire on board? Well, we didn't. I wasn't thinking much of it. And then we had another flight that went to Eretz Yisrael on a Wednesday night, and we had a team. It turned out we had a minion, and somebody said, because uh, we were davening Shachmas on a Thursday morning, do, uh, do we have a safe attire on board? Which we didn't. So I called Rav Asher Weiss, who's uh, Shlita, who's our uh, posik, him, and uh, Rav Heschel Shechta, uh, the Vada Rabbanim on Air. And we asked um, Rav Asher Weiss, can we have a safe attire on board? So he said as follows, he said, if it's just for Shmira, so that we would travel, we can't, but as long as we're, we would commit to laning from it at least once a month, we can take it with us because we never know when and where we would end up. And so we'd be able to uh, to have the safe attire on board. And we're actually in the process of um, asking Claudia Salty and Knight to write a safe attire. Wow. Share another, Shiloh. You, you weren't you weren't expecting that, right? No. There there are, <laughs> there are, uh, there are many um, many uh, that come as far as uh, um, returning from calls and flights. What we have to do as far as um, how it equates with um, with returning from uh, like a Hatzalah member on the ground. We have similar but. Um, but different, but unique challenges um, that come on board. And um, we're oftentimes in, in areas and, and places where, uh, where we're in extremely remote, non-Jewish locations. And um, it's, it's amazing for us to have uh, Rav Asher Weiss so accessible and so passionate about the work that we do. So let me ask you, Shaila, let's say you have a, a Tatsala flight coming from Archie Stroll to America, which could be because of American hospitals. 
or uh, or the other way around, and you, you're flying from America, uh, well, they're, they're ahead of us. You know, you're coming from Eretz Yisrael to America. So in Eretz Yisrael, it's already ice Shabbos. When you land in America, it could be Shabbos. How do you do you look at where you're landing, or do you look at the place where you left from? As far as whether to what? Whether whether it's Shabbos, whether whether you have to have um, whether you have to have the DNA when you land here. So you kept Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael, then you flew here and you landed, and Shabbos again. Would you have to keep Shabbos here coming from Eretz Yisrael? Do you say no? We will makabel Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael, and in Eretz Yisrael it's over already. I mean, would we keep Shabbos twice? You see, the beauty of or an, ex- an extra se- an extra seven hours, not necessarily twice, an extra seven hours. Right. So we, we've actually never had that, but um, recently we just, uh, um, Rav Weiss asked us to, to put together a list of Shilas, and that's a very clever one. It's Baruch Hashem, something that hasn't happened to us, but it could. So uh, we'll, we'll, I will certainly make sure that we add that to, uh, to the Shilas and, uh, and, and put that out. But again, that's an example of something that would be unique to our Patsala branch as opposed to uh, most of the others that wouldn't have a situation like that. So. What does that solar air mean? I mean, private flights are very expensive. If there's a Jew sick someplace in the world, Hatsala just flies there and picks him up and brings him. How does it work? Yeah, that's, that's actually exactly what it is. It's um, beyond unique. We did our first flight in September of 2019, and at the time it was with one donated airplane from a fellow by the name of Ben Phillipson in Muncie. And then um, since then, we've grown. Today we have a total of nine aircraft in our fleet that spans four in America, one in Mexico that's now just just starting in Mexico City, and four helicopters in Eretzisol, of which two are in service and two more are coming. Wow. And today we get about 30 requests a week. And wow. we've had we've had, for example, a... Uh, uh, a lady in the northeast was on vacation in the Galapagos Islands, and um, she was 70 years old and beyond excited to be there and had a, uh, a blood clot when she got there. I missed a lady in her leg. It spread to her lungs and became a pulmonary embolism and put her into, co- into congestive heart failure with no real care and, and the possible hashash that she'd be nifta if uh, advanced care didn't happen. We were called and um, sent a team into Quito, which is the capital, capital of Ecuador. Capital Ecuador. Wow. Which, and where were, you com- where were you coming from? From Miami. Uh, we, we, t- we, took a, no, we took a team from New York, went there, and then, and then transport, transported her to Jackson Ryder, which is in, uh, in the uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. I'm not sure exactly where. Where it is, but that was the closest, uh, you know, appropriate um, uh, hospital of care for her, and um, and we've done that, and we did that for free. And, and ha- what type of what type of an airplane is it? So we flew then a Citation 10. That's our airplane of choice. We have two of them. It's the fastest plane in the world outside of military jets. We right. have uh, our first plane was a Lear 60, which is more of a domestic airplane. It's uh, it's got a range of about 2,200 miles, so we could basically. With a tailwind, we can go from L.A. to New York with that plane, but we can't actually go typically from New York to L.A. But the Citation 10 has about a 3,000-mile range. It's unique because it's the fastest plane in the world outside of military jets. It flies at Mach 0.92. So typically, aircraft are judged from a speed standpoint against the speed of sound. And um, and this goes more than nine-tenths the speed of sound, the Citation 10 aircraft. So we love it for our solar patients and our solar calls and duty times and speed. Uh, just today, we had a an infant in Mount Sinai Hospital 
who was um, about three or four months old on a, on a respirator, on a ventilator, who needed to go for emergency care to Cincinnati today, this morning. And um, we had an unbelievable team of a neonatologist, a respiratory therapist, flight paramedic, and, and others to be able to put together a, uh, a team that at 5.30 met all volunteers, by the way. It's, it's just, it's unparalleled. It's unparalleled. And, it's, uh, and um, we work with Hatzalah branches, Chabad houses, and like I said, reform organizations um, around the world. And um, when we land and people look at this and they see very proudly Beisamachdalad by the door and they say, what's that? And we explain it's with Hashem's help because without Akadosh Baruch help, our aircraft don't get off the ground and they don't land and they don't fly. And everything we do is with Siyad Abishmaya. And I'll tell you, David, we need it. We need it every second of our flights. We need it in the planning. We need it in the organizing. We need it during the, during the missions and we need it during the uh, post missions, everything we do is is uh, with unparalleled levels of Seattle design. And extremely expensive, too. I mean, when you say going to Galapagos and back on a Citation 10, it's $50,000 just in plane costs. But so that's, it's, it's, pro it's, it's probably accurate. I, I will tell you that we had a, a flight request this week for a young lady um, from a state that I don't want to mention because uh, we want to protect her privacy, but a young lady in her 30s, a nice young Hamish lady, needed to go to St. Louis for a heart. Listen, there's no price that um, Paul Yisrael wouldn't pay to be able to save one of our own. We exist on donations. And Mikam Fe Yisrael, we help with with an unbelievable heart. And at the end of the day, Kal Yisrael has, uh, has uh, you know, figured out how to work with us. Can I can I put in a little plug for our Sefer Torah, or I'm not supposed to Absolutely, do that? absolutely. Go for it. So so we came up with this idea. We're going to write a Sefer Torah, and there's about approximately 305,000 letters in the Sefer Torah. And instead of asking one person to be able to do it or trying to raise uh, some some money for it, we thought, what what more beautiful a uh, a cooperative project than to be able to find 305,000 letters to sell in the uh, Sefer Torah, sell I mean donate at $18 a letter. That would get Hatzalah Air about $5.5 million, and the money would really be used for the expenses that people just uh, we have a hard time raising for. So believe it or not, for aircraft, they're all donating. And special pieces of equipment like stretchers and vents and monitors and things like that, we Baruch Hashem have, you know, people that are very happy and proud to donate. But the expenses such as, you know, insurance and maintenance and pilot training and, and uh, various different um, things that are non-tangible assets, we struggle, and so if anybody that's listening wants during a Thursday May Chuba, it's already available now. We started it um, on Air Fisherwell, but our main campaign is during a Thursday May Chuba to, to buy a letter. Go to the How would they do that? Where would they, where would they send it to, or could they do it online? Yeah, online at hatzolair.org. It's like a combination of Hatzola and airplane. H a t z o l a i r dot org, and then you can just click on the letter you want in the prayer, you can dedicate it, donate it, it's $18. We're not asking for a lot, but we're asking for everybody's uh, shutfus, and that this should be, I love to say, this is Klal Yisrael's airplane. So now, the way it could be Klal Yisrael's airplane is if Klal Yisrael is Mishtapif, and, and, we, and we chip in, and, and talk and make it Klal Yisrael's prayer on Klal Yisrael's airplane. Kavalik. Ali, thank you very much for your time, and, and you should give us all a bracha. Somebody does as many mitzvahs as you. 
So I'll tell you, the, the biggest bracha I can give you, and first of all, I'm, I'm awed and beyond inspired by you, but the biggest bracha I can give you is that your whole life you should be a giver. Because in life, I see it perhaps more than, than others. There are only two people in this world, givers and takers. And I, every single morning, every morning, before I check my WhatsApps and before I go to the bathroom, I find a window in any room I'm at. Sometimes it's in Salt Lake City in the snow, and I can't even see the sky because a person broke his back skiing. Sometimes I'm in London in the fog, or I'm in Miami in the sun. But every day, it's the same routine. I find a window in the morning, I look up, and I say, Akadosh Baruch there are only two people in this world, givers and takers. I beg you, let me be a giver. So, David, I bench you. You should be a giver your whole life. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Ali, for your time. You should be benched. Bye-bye. Joining us from Eretz Yisrael is Nir Solomon. He's the president of Efrat, which is a not-for-profit organization. Nir, tell us what Efrat does. The Efrat organization that was founded about 47 years ago by the late Dr. Eli Shusheim found that there are so many abortions taking place in Israel. And the main reason for that is actually because of economic, emotional pressure. So Efrat realized that just because a woman literally feels that she cannot make ends meet and buy a crib for her newborn child or a bath or provide for that child diapers, she can't afford to have a child, whether it's the first or sometimes it's in later pregnancies. It might be the second or it might be the third. In the Haredi community, it might be the fourth or fifth, and they feel they cannot provide for that child. Dr. Shusheim came out and said, just because of money, that should not be a reason that a life shouldn't come into this world. So the organization was founded on that principle, and today we're celebrating almost helping close to 85,000 women bring their children into this world, all being raised by their birth mothers. So these are women who their inner desire was to have the child, but the external pressure was pressuring her to terminate that pregnancy. And the Efrat organization came in and, and was able to give them the support that they needed in order that they can have their child. Now, were there any halachic of heterim? Did you have any rabbanim who ever said they can terminate? There are instances where rabbanim, obviously, there are instances where these women can terminate, and that's the interesting aspect. Many of those women do not want to terminate. That's the issue behind it. Because at the end of the day, while there are rabbanim that has connection with, which is all of the Israel from every from every angle, whether it's Arab Zilberstein, was the great Arab Yoshiv, Arab Avadi Yosef, all of these great Rabbanim, they realize that sometimes the woman needs to be consulted as to what her inner desire is, even in the event that halachically the abortion might be permitted, not mandated. There are instances where halachically the abortion is mandated in the case of danger to the mother, and that's a whole different story. So sometimes women come to us and tell us our husband is pressuring us to, have it, to terminate the pregnancy. He's a from Jew. He went to the rabbi, and the rabbi said it's permitted to have an abortion, but the rabbi never came and asked me about it. I don't want to terminate this pregnancy. I want to have this child. That's quite a complicated issue. Now, talk about the cases where the husband says he wants to have it terminated for financial reasons. Was Rebel Yashiv, Rebel Zolberstein, etc., Rebel Vajas ever on board with that? No, absolutely not. Those are not reasons that they were on board with. After 
Arab um, Kanievsky passed away, one of our volunteers surfaced the story that there was a Haredi community in Israel where unfortunately, and it, it just happens everywhere, unfortunately there was a widow and a widower that were dating. They both had extensive families, and unfortunately, uh, you know, they the woman became pregnant, and she couldn't imagine, you know, having this child. Neither could the man, and they decided that they have to terminate the pregnancy. We don't know if they went and asked the rav. We had no idea. However, our volunteer, we have volunteers in absolutely every neighborhood in the country. Our volunteer heard about this story, approached the woman. And he said to her, listen, I understand the difficulty in continuing ahead with having this child, but I think you should go ask a Rav, and I can bring you into Rav Chaim to have a moment, Yechidus with Rav Chaim. Go inside, whatever Rav Chaim says, go out and, and, and do. And this couple went to Rav Chaim, sat with Rav Chaim, and Rav Chaim said to them, you're absolutely not having an abortion, and if anybody has issues with this pregnancy, send them directly to me. That wasn't a reason. It wasn't a good enough reason to terminate this pregnancy, and they really needed their rabbinic support to be able to say, listen, we, were, we found ourselves in a situation that's extremely uncomfortable, but it's not really a reason to terminate a pregnancy. That's not necessarily what they wanted, their internal self wanted, but they did need the support from some kind of goggle to say, you know, I'm here with you. There was a mistake, but go ahead and have this child, and they went ahead and they had the child. Tell us some more stories. The the sad story is is that recently in 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 the past couple of years we've actually had an uptick of stories in the Haredi community because of financial pressures that are within this within this community. If you have women that are working hard trying to support their husbands, have multiple children, and all of a sudden she comes into a pregnancy which was unplanned, whether whether they plan to not have the child or not, sometimes yes, sometimes no, but it wasn't, wasn't planned. The woman wasn't expecting to become pregnant, wasn't wishing to become pregnant, and all of a sudden she becomes pregnant. And financially, they're extremely, extremely strapped. They're having very difficult times to make ends meet. That's where the Efrat organization comes in to provide that support to say, listen, we know of these cases for the over 40 years, we know of these cases. They're difficult, they're not easy to deal with, but we know how to get you over the difficult time period, over the immediate financial stress that, that they're facing. And usually the stress that they're facing is the immediate financial stress. In other words, they barely make ends meet. Now they can't imagine how they can buy a whole new uh, room for the baby, a crib, a carriage, a baby bath. How can they do that? That is alleviated by the Efrat organization. The second concern they have is how are they going to feed the child and buy diapers for the child? They might have children that are still in diapers in the home and they can't afford buying any more diapers. So the Efrat organization comes in and, and alleviates that financial pressure for two years after the baby's born to be able to escort them through that whole process. But it doesn't end there. There has to be a way in which we emotionally relieve them of that stress. And oftentimes it does come with some kind of spiritual guidance of different Rabbanim in different communities that come along and engage in giving them support. It's really not halachic, uh, because at the end of the day, these are abortions that are not halachically mandated, and that's not the angle that these people take. They need to know that if they are going ahead to have to terminate their pregnancy without coming and asking a shayla, because they, are, they know the answer to that shayla, but they have to do it because they feel the pressure, we are there to alleviate their pressure. In now, fact, if the threat was not around, yeah. what, would, what would happen? Yeah, they would terminate their pregnancies. Even though most Rabbanim would consider it Ritzicha? 
when a person is under tremendous, tremendous emotional stress, they do things that they later on tremendously, tremendously regret, yeah. And that's where we need to be there listening to the emotions behind the story. Where this woman is, somebody needs to be there, and believe it or not, most of the cases that we deal with, the number one statement that the women say that made the difference is just one statement that is told to them at the Fraud Organization from every volunteer and from our social workers. You are not alone. Oftentimes, they feel alone. In the firm community, the issue of abortion is just under the rug all the time. Nobody talks about it. Nobody believes it, it happens. How could it happen? Just like you said, because some Rabbanim feel that it's Ritzicha. So how is it even possible that in the Haredi and Hasidi community there will be abortions? The answer is there are, and it's not talked about enough so that people that are out there and are experiencing this emotional stress will have somebody from somebody who they can trust, Rabbanim, I'm not, you know, community Rabbanim are out there to listen to them, but they don't even know there is that opportunity. I'll tell you one story that happened recently in the United States, and the Efrat organization, because of this story, amongst others, decided to extend our services into the United States. I was in Las Vegas in what is the largest Christian crisis pregnancy center in the country, and this woman said to me, Nir, we're having an issue here. I said, what's the issue? She says, every year we're having more and more Jewish people turned to us to this center and we're helping them out. And I made a very, very, uh, you know, strong statement. I said, you know, how many? She said, over two dozen, we're supporting over two dozen Israelis. These are Israelis. She says, I can't always identify Jews, but I definitely know they're Jewish because these are Israelis. Two dozen Israelis every single year. And I said to her at that point in time, I said to her, listen, what do you care about more? These are missionary organizations that we don't want Jewish people in, in these places. I asked her, do you want to convert them to Christianity or do you want to save the life of a child? And she said to me, I want to save the life of a child. So I said, if that's the case, every Jew that walks through your doorstep, we have, and I said it straight out, you know, we, ha it's, we have an allergy to Oto'aish. When Jews come in and they hear you preach whatever you're preaching, we can't handle that. And if you want to save the children, you have to hand them over into a Jewish community. And she agreed, long story short, that Shabbat they spoke at a certain shul in Las Vegas, came up to me after Kiddush, a certain individual, in a from Orthodox shul. He said to me, I have to tell you, I was at that center and our child is alive because of them. I said to him, what? Why would you go to that center? He says, don't worry. You obviously see I'm still from, I'm in an Orthodox shul, but I didn't have any emotional support and I didn't think that I could come into the from world and even talk about this debate that we had, whether we're going to terminate our pre the pregnancy or not, primarily because of financial issues. It was obviously usur, but we didn't have any vision of how we can survive this pregnancy until these Christians came in. I said to them, I don't understand. I'm here in shul. You have a loving and supporting Jewish community. Why didn't you go up to the rabbi? He said to me, because I thought, I've never heard anybody speak about the abortion issue, and I didn't think in, on the abortion issue anybody cares. They're going to tell me it's usur, and that would be the end of that story. I didn't think anybody would actually care. Are there any Rabbanim who would be matter under dire financial circumstances to abort? Not that I know of, no. And yet the, only alarm, the, only, the only alarming fact that I've just recently became aware of is that that there are younger women, again, we're not talking about teenagers, we don't deal with teenagers, but younger women in their late teens, you know, 19, 20, early 20s, I, again, I, I can't substantiate this, but I've just heard this through the grapevine that there are certain 
women that, that uh, you know, have become pregnant out of wedlock and went to Rabbanim very early on, very, very early on, you know, within, in the earliest periods that uh, halachically there are leniences to, and um, they, they found the heter. The question really is, is even if there is a heter, these women later on can suffer from trauma from realizing what they've done later and nobody had a discussion with them. So no, I don't know of any Rabbanim that will be matir on it for just for purely financial reasons. And I think every single one of them would send to, uh, to Efrat before that happens. But there's just one other aspect that's very important from a halachic perspective. When it comes to medical issues, and this is happening in Israel, and it's happening in the United States as well. It's happening all over the world, but most our, our awareness is most from the United States and from Israel. There are so many doctors, unfortunately, both in Israel and in the United States, that are very, very quick to determine that a woman has to go ahead and terminate her pregnancy oftentimes for reasons that are completely unsubstantiated. So many times when the Rabbanim get asked these questions, they would send to Efrat because Dr. Shusheim, the late Dr. Shusheim, headed our medical practice, and he would review the underlying conditions that led to the recommendation to terminate the pregnancy. And all of a sudden, these couples had the ability to go to a doctor who's from, is not choshud on, on wanting to perform abortions, and is able to really give a clear indication of what the underlying medical situation is to the Rav, so that the Rav can make you know, his halachic decision, and then to the family so that they can understand what they're facing forward. Unfortunately, till today, today we, have, we still have the medical practice and, and cases come in every week, they're very, very sad cases, where women are being pressured into terminating the pregnancy by doctors and are being told that Rabbanim would permit it. And when we review the medical records, there's absolutely no reason to terminate the pregnancy. That's rather alarming. I would assume that 99.9% .9 of doctors are honest and unbiased, but unfortunately more and more cases come to our table that really don't have any indication for termination of pregnancy. Just now we're dealing with a case like this in Hollywood, Florida, where a woman, again, happens to be a Haredi woman because she did not want to terminate her pregnancy. A Haredi woman comes to us, was told she's, she's, she's poverty-stricken, she's on Medicaid, so the medical, the medical advice that she's getting is rather sporadic, and she gets sent information that she absolutely has to terminate her pregnancy for, for medical reasons. And what was the medical reason there? That she had kidney damage as a result of her having COVID in the past. These medical records were sent to our doctors in Israel, who then sent it to a high-risk big Tamil Chacham obstetrician in, in New York, who said, near it, there is no, she doesn't have any kidney damage. There's absolutely no indication of such. I said, why will the doctor recommend this? He says, listen, I don't know. The woman does not know how to read these records. We send it to a kidney expert in Hollywood who today is treating this lady. And he says to me, near there, she has no kidney damage. There are no underlying conditions. And otherwise, if somebody, if a Rob was consulted and was told, the doctor told me that if I carry throughout this pregnancy, I will surely die. This is what the doctor told her. Then I think a responsible Rav, with that information, assuming the information was verified, he would obviously prefer the life of the mother. But there was nothing in the medical records to substantiate that.
Well, if somebody wants to help us out, what would they do? So first of all, spread the word that people should understand abortion, unfortunately, is out there. And before they would consider terminating their pregnancy, they should consult with somebody who is loving and caring or turn to the Efrat organization. You can go on our website, efrat.org, E-F-R-A-T.org. And, and we will obviously find them, somebody locally, whether it's in the United States or in Israel. We have volunteers all throughout, the, all throughout Israel to be able to to support and help these women. In Israel today, there are about 35,000 abortions a year. The Efrat organization helps over 3,000 women every single year to have their children. There shouldn't be any woman who feels compelled to have an abortion for external reasons and is not supported by the Jewish community. And is, it does it remain a problem? Like, are there still abortions in the Haredi community? Absolutely. There, are, there, are, there absolutely are abortions in the Haredi community all over. Absolutely. How do you know that? Very sad. We get, we get those phone calls. We, we get the phone calls that our neighbor is going to have an abortion, our daughter is going to have an abortion, our cousin is going to have an abortion, and we reach out to them without any judgment. Reach out to them just to tell them, listen, you're not alone. We understand you're struggling. And when these women are struggling, halakha is not what wins. What wins is a loving, caring person by your side, holding your hand. I'll tell you in numbers, in Israel, in America, it's much more complicated. But in Israel, the cost of the general package for us to save a child is $1,500. The crib, the carriage, the diapers, the, all of this is $1,500. So can you imagine if Efrat was able to save not 3500 but 10000 children a year and create a massive awareness both in Israel and in, the, and in the Jewish world globally that the community will be there to support you in your time of need. It's really momentarily. It's only in that point in time. That is the greatest thing that you could help with. Come and support us financially. It's wonderful. You'll definitely be able to guarantee. I said this before, Shoshana. If you support Efrat, you will guarantee that there will be families that are being built that otherwise children would not be born. These things are happening. I just want to tell you one more story because it just came to mind. I visited a donor, I remember... Many years ago, I've been volunteering with, with the Efrat organization for close to two decades. And in the last two years, I became the executive director after Dr. Susan passed away. So many years ago, I was visiting a donor, and the donor told me, listen, I'm so sorry. He cried. He was actually crying. He said, I'm so sorry. I can't donate so much money, but I want you to see this picture. I said, what is this picture? He says, this is my niece. I'm crying as I say it. He says, this is my niece. She is alive today. Because I learned about the Efrat organization. I said, what do you mean? He said, I kept supporting Efrat because I knew the work you did, but I, I didn't have an opportunity to directly impact a child, but I spoke about Efrat everywhere. And one day, my niece came to me and said to me, she's struggling with the issues that I talk about Efrat. And I said, I will save your child. And this is my great niece right there. She's seven years old. I support them from beginning to end just because I know she is like another child to me. I made sure that she comes into this world. I remember with, with Arav Avram Yosef, the Chulon, he's the chief rabbi of Chulon. I met with him years ago. And he said to me, I just want you to understand. If you don't understand how important the Efrat organization is, I'll make it clear to you. This is my personal private number. If there is a donor 
in the middle of the night needs to speak to me just to save one file, then it was the package was $1,200. I will drive, if you want to speak to my father, I will drive to Yerushalayim and wake up my father, I will wake him up in the middle of the night, and he will gladly do so because that is, there is no greater pikuach nefesh than that. And if you don't understand that, you shouldn't be involved with this organization. Thank you. Okay, Rabbi Nishalom should give you kayak to do your amazing work, and Blinada, I'm sending you a check. Thank okay? you very much. Call Thank to. you very much. Call Thank to you. Me. Thank you.